Chapter 11 Repentance From Looking Back to Looking Forward As we noted in the previous chapter, justice works in our favour. It is our guarantee that we will be raised to happiness according to our desires of happiness. The problem, of course, is that our desires are sometimes muddled, confused, misdirected. Our entire relationship with God will change when we are able to recognize that repentance is not the discipline meted out to us when we get it wrong. Repentance is the lifelong venture of accepting Christ's willingness to help us reshape our heart in His image. It is a positive engagement with the learning process, not recurrent periods in the penalty box. In the Scriptures, one episode more than any other may illustrate how Jesus taught the principle. In the Gospel of John, the story unfolds of a woman caught in adultery. The crowd gathers, intent on executing justice. Christ, with one simple gesture, repudiates the retributive justice and teaches the meaning of repentance. Neither do I condemn thee, Jesus continues. Go and sin no more. That is repentance, continuation of the journey, picking ourselves up and moving forward, energized and renewed by the certainty of God's abiding love and encouragement. As a student remarked of this episode, Christ shows no interest in official church discipline or forgiving the woman for her past. Rather, he desires change and conversion for the woman. The entire great plan is predicated on our Heavenly Parents' confidence that through the process of our mortal experiences, we will learn to choose more wisely and that our desires, our yearnings, our affections will become more and more centered on the good, the true, the beautiful. In other words, under the tutelage of divinity, we are encouraged to persevere in the often painful path home. The constant ministrations, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, of the divine family, strengthen our knees and lift our hands when they hang down. Hence, the constant refrain that weaves through Scripture as its most common theme, repent, that is, re-educate or reset your heart. We discussed previously that sin is not first and foremost an offence against a sovereign God. It is a tragic misstep, an action contrary to the nature of happiness, resulting in pain, suffering, alienation, that is, bitterness. We also discussed previously that justice is not God's demand for satisfaction of a law violated. It is a law of restoration, of like for like, of consequence fitted to desire, Repentance may require restitution where possible, repairing what harm we can as a sign of our genuine remorse and empathy. Repentance, however, is not penance, self-punishment, though it regrettably still carries those connotations. The indelible association of repentance with penance is rooted in a historic mistranslation. In the 4th century, Jerome produced a Latin translation of the Bible, that would serve as the standard Christian text for more than a thousand years. A scholar of the Reformation explains what happened when Jerome came to the moment in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, where John the Baptist 
is presented in the Greek as crying out to his listeners in the wilderness, metanoiate. Jerome translated this as ponitentiam agite, do penance, and the medieval church had pointed to this translation of the Baptist's cry as biblical support for its theology of the sacrament of penance. Penance has the same root as penal and penalty, the Latin poenalis, which means pertaining to punishment. Underlying the sacrament of penance, then, is the rationale that sin is primarily an offence committed against God and that a penalty must be paid to obtain pardon for those offences. In the words of another expositor of the doctrine, absolution takes away the individual's sin and makes him guiltless before God. Then comes satisfaction, the acts the sinner has to perform to compensate for the injury he has done to God. How dreadful that an invitation to change one's heart became instead a demand for punishment. In the 16th century, the progressive Catholic Erasmus pointed out that what John had told his listeners to do was to come to their senses or repent, and Erasmus retranslated the command into Latin as recipicite, repent in English. In other words, with this one biblical revision, Erasmus shifted the emphasis from punishment for the past to transformation going forward. What a difference one word makes, for good or ill. Still, the older implications linger. Calvin taught that repentance stemmed from serious fear of God and consisted in the mortification of the old man. And indeed, many saints live in fear of violation, trespass, offence, or crime, and the ensuing guilt. Collectively or individually, many are at every moment fearful of an offended God, an injured sovereign who demands satisfaction. Erasmus incurred the wrath of the institutional church for his simple correction. However, he was right. Repentance, rather than entailing a sacrament of penance and absolution, is a call to come to your senses, as he correctly interpreted the Greek term. Note here the echo of Lehi's admonition to awake, awake from a deep sleep, and Jacob's call to arouse the faculties of your souls, shake yourselves that ye may awake. The call of John the Baptist in the book of Matthew is identical to the call of Paul to the Romans. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, or, as the original might be more fully rendered, do not allow yourselves to be shaped and fashioned by the world in which you find yourself but be rebirthed in mind and will, that you may sample firsthand through trial and error what is God's desire for you, the good, the well-pleasing, the full measure of your creation. This language should suggest to Latter-day Saints a ringing affirmation of the original proposal conceived in heaven, that we be exposed to a world of oppositional choices, that we taste the bitter and the sweet, 
and that we allow those experiences to shape our heart and mind after a holy pattern, so that we can attain our full stature as children of heavenly parents. This is our challenge, our task, to learn through painful experience the true nature and consequences of our choices, the reality of sweetness and bitterness as indissolubly connected to eternal principles. It is a long process, and we are going through it until we are able, here or hereafter, to choose Christ with eyes fully opened, the bitter rejected, and the sweet embraced. We are whole from the foundation of the world. But as we come to live in a sphere over which chaos reigns, ensouled in bodies subject to all that is carnal and sensual, tempted by all that appeals to our biologically inherited natures, we taste the bitter fruit in order to learn to prize the sweet. This process of re-educating our inclinations is one way to translate very literally repentance, re-education of the heart, remolding of desires. We hear echoes of these phrases in God's encouragement to set your affection on things above, or to let the affections of thy heart be placed upon the Lord. At some level, most Latter-day Saints understand this process. We strive for a devotion born of love, and we worship heavenly parents who seek our joy. Why, then, are we so saddled with self-doubt, with guilt, with feelings of unworthiness, shame, and fear of judgment? Somewhere in the back of our minds, the image of a God of justice who requires penance and grudgingly dispenses forgiveness, stubbornly persists. We continue to feel and act as if God requires repentance to put us right with them, to assuage their offended majesty, to compensate for the injury done to them, to pay for our sins. And centuries of representations of this idea of repentance reinforce the sense of threat God poses to our peace of mind. Even in our own Latter-day Saint culture, we can draw the wrong inferences from our dogged attempts to conceptualize the atonement as Christ rescuing us from God's justice, or as Christ interceding as our defender, protecting us from the angry judge eager to impose penalty. We saw how the Book of Mormon suppresses the savagery of retributive justice, and we forget, or may not know, that advocate has a genealogy traceable to the Greek word that means comforter or helper. We are still, regrettably, far from successful in displacing the sovereign God of creedal Christianity with a restored plain and precious truth that God is the Father and Mother who weep and rejoice with us. From God's perspective, sin is of concern because of the havoc it wreaks in us and because of the harm it causes us to do to ourselves and to each other. In God's vocabulary, sin is suffering, woundedness, and brokenness in our relationships. Knowing this, how can we ever see sin or the need for repentance as we did before?